when it comes to God that I notice the more that I go along in years is that the print in my Dake's Bible gets smaller and smaller and that he chooses random people to do his will. He takes words that we think we know the meaning of and he turns it on its head. One of those words would be ridiculous and today I wanted to talk about some ridiculous faith of Elisha. I wanted to talk about the fact that God chooses people and he changes the words that we think we know. Let me give you a little primer in terminology before I jump into this. There is a word which back in the day, it was bad. And like if you came up to me and you're like, ooh, this milk's bad, I wouldn't be like, here, let me drink that. I still probably, like, bad meant bad. But then in the 80s, give me, that, give me the MJ slide. MJ came up with, like, bad. Like, he was bad. He's bad, you know it. And he'd go, shamo at the end. Because, like, if he said, I'm good, I'm good, it wouldn't have the same edge, right? And so good became bad and bad good. But if you come up to me with milk and say it's bad, I'm still not drinking it. There's the word sick. Oh. And I use this one. Like, that's sick. But every time I say it, I am transported back to Leroy Middle School, second grade. Christy Lamphanen. I may have had a second grade crush on her. Little blonde haired, blue eyed, little Dutch boy haircut. I remember this day. Little bow in her Dutch boy haircut. And I was standing behind her in line, questioning whether I should have eaten that second bowl of Fruit Loops. And we're turning in our homework. But you couldn't leave the room without asking the teacher. And every step I took, the greener I got. And Christy asked a lot of questions when she was the next one in line. And the next thing you know, and I just remember sitting in the waiting area of the principal's office, her cute little haircut just in the front, it was also full, in the back it was just flat because me. And her saying, why did you do that? Just crying. And I'm like, because I was sick. And it wasn't in a good way. And then ridiculous, when we say that, it used to mean something that was bad news, but now ridiculous can be a good thing. And the reason I bring that up is because we live in a world where things that go on in the world at times are ridiculous and not in a good way. And it's weird because the people of God have almost relegated our faith to a place where we're like, yeah, we can't be ridiculous. No, we can't go there. Yeah, we can yeah, we can, because that's who God calls you to be in faith. Today, I wanted to talk about Elisha. The story of Elisha, let me give you a little background on this man. It begins with Elijah, who was this prophet, almost a rock star of prophets in the Old Testament. Elijah had just gone through a dark time, and God had recommissioned him, in a sense, to begin doing what he set out to do. God gave one word that was go. He follows it up with from here. In other words, your time here of sitting here, it's been good, but you got to go. And he tells him that, in a sense, he will tap his replacement as a prophet. Now, during this time, everyone knew who Elijah was. 
And Elisha obviously knew who he was. I'm sure that he wanted to be like him for so much of his life. He would come to a point where he would have the audacity to ask for a double portion of the anointing that was on Elijah. And what's wild is in his lifetime, Elisha performed more recorded miracles in the Bible through the power of God than anyone besides Jesus Christ himself. Elisha's story, it was very ordinary when you look at it. It was ordinary in the sense that he was not discovered because angels pointed him out. There was no burning bush in this situation. There was none of those things. What he was, he was an ordinary guy living at home with his parents and working on a farm. But God called him to do something incredible in this. He lived during the ninth century. There was a lot of tension, a lot of civil unrest. There was a lot of Baal worship that went on, which would cause a lot of this tension and unrest. People were worshiping this false god. And so God points out this ordinary man in a field. But from that point on, his story is no longer ordinary. Look at the text. And our text today is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. And I will read it. So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha. Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Now, what's ridiculous about this story is what will follow and what Elisha does in response to this call. When we take our faith to ridiculous levels, and by ridiculous levels, I mean you know where you are comfortable and you know where you sink back in faith and you know the things that God whispers to you to step out in. So we have Elisha plowing with these oxen. He'd probably been doing the same job for many years of his life. It's not just some guy working on his parents' farm. If you think about this, 12 yoke of oxen means 24 oxen and he's plowing as well. So it means that there are like 11 employees. It's got to be this huge estate that he's on. He's well-to-do, I would be led to believe. And so deep down, though, do you ever come to a spiritual place? And I don't know if this is in the Bible, but it would go something like this if it's a psalm, like, been working so hard, been punching my card, eight hours for what? Oh, tell me what I got. Got this feeling that times hold me down. I'll hit the ceiling or else I'll tear up this town. You ever get that way, like, footloose spiritually in your heart? When you're just like, I, in faith, I got to get more. I got to move. I got to do something. It's, it's got to go somewhere. Pastor Steve Furtick had pointed out that there comes a time in your Elisha-type faith when the view will get old. So if his view in being faithful and plowing every day, give me that view. Here would be his view. Every day, there comes a point where in faith you get tired of that view. I'm thinking of in your life, do you ever feel monotony? Do you ever feel monotony when it comes to your job? Get up, have the coffee, do the things, come home. Get up, have the coffee, do the things, come home. When it comes to adulting, you can add that in. Do the things of work, clean, change the laundry, call the repairman, bills, go to Kalahari, 
work clean, called repairman bills, Kalahari. Do you ever feel monotony? Do you ever feel that kind of monotony in your faith? Because you feel like, is this all there is? Elisha's commission came while he was at work. Be faithful in the small things. At the end of this life, I want to hear the master reply, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. That's what my heart longs to hear. But the truth about faithfulness, it's a thing that's demonstrated over time. It requires consistency. Here's what's wild. Elijah was known at times to run. And so when you read this verse, it doesn't say that Elijah went to the stables or the barn to wait for Elisha to get done with his work to then talk to him about these God things. No, it says that pretty much he went by him and threw his cloak on him. I look at this almost like a drive-by anointing, if you will. He's just on the run. He throws his cloak on him. And what's wild is when this happens, it wasn't just any type of cloak. The cloak that would be worn by prophets at this time, it was a cloak made out of animal hair or skin. It wasn't something you would confuse with anything else. When you saw it, you knew what it was. In the Bible, in Zechariah, it says that it was a rough garment. In other words, it wasn't for the faint of heart. So as soon as this hit the shoulders of Elisha, he knew something's going on. See, the walk that you're about to take, it requires a different covering, Elisha. I'm placing this covering on you. The mantle that's going to go on you, oh, you see it, but can you feel it now? And there are places in faith that God's saying, do you feel it now? Do you feel where I'm taking you now? In order for faith to become what God intends it to be, there are two important truths. There was this study by Craig Grishel, I think his name is, and he had two points that I loved. The first one was this in regard to Elisha. God wasn't going to give him a script for what was about to happen. You do not have to understand fully in order to obey immediately. That's a tough one. Elisha's response was, let me run in and kiss mom and dad, and then I'm going to come with you. There was no time for a fleece. There was no time for two weeks of praying about it. There was no risk assessment on a dry board. He just knew. He just knew that he didn't have to understand the full plan to obey immediately. God has this way of calling structured people to leap into spontaneity, and he has a way of calling the spontaneous to leap into structure sometimes, and neither one's fun for those people. But how many church leaders, like these people who have written books and everything else, how many of their five-year plans had 2020 on the map? Probably none. Or they would have been like 2,020 reasons that 2020 is going to be whatever. Like, you know, there's that kind of book every year. The God of Elisha will whisper destiny to you. Rarely does he give all the details that we will want. In the template that Grishel put out, it said God is often strategically vague in his directions. That's a place of faith. When you don't know what's going on, understand it's part of the strategy. 
God's not intimidated by there. What he needs you to do is to show up for this step. That's what he needs from you. It is said that Jesus ministered at, I think it's three miles an hour while he was here on earth, because that's walking speed. God needs you to show up for the next step. You don't need to know what's up there. You need to show up here. Because if it was like a few good men in his best Jack Nicholson voice, God would say, you can't handle all the steps. You can't, because we wouldn't show up because we would be scared to death if he laid it all out in front of us. But the God that I serve is about an economy of words. What do I mean? I mean, when there's nothing, my God says, let there be light. And it is. When it looks like things are over, he says, Lazarus, come forth. There he is. When it looks like the darkest time ever and people don't know what to do, he speaks word, it is finished. And by it, he didn't mean himself. The devil quaked at hearing those words. Historically, when he calls people, what would he say to a Moses? Moses, go. What would he say to Abraham? Go. Go where? He gave Abraham a little more. Go to the land that I'll tell you. Okay. That's how God works in faith. You think of the stormy sea. You think of being with your friends. You think of being a seasoned fisherman and being on a stormy sea and being scared. Your stomach getting queasy. And looking out and seeing Jesus coming toward the boat. And what does Jesus do? Does Jesus like, calm down, everyone, calm down. Make sure you have your flotation devices. This will go down. I looked at the Doppler. It's, it's going to be. No, Jesus says to Peter, come. Come. And in that moment, everything changed. One word in the middle of a storm. If you're in the middle of a storm right now, do you hear what the God who still whispers is saying to you? Here's the truth. You can be in a crowded room and God can speak to your heart and other people may not hear it. Because the truth of God and the God word will resonate in the heart of the one who is meant to hear it. It'll stop you in your tracks. It will arrest you. You may be in situations that you don't know what to do. You may have a health situation and, and you're scared about it. You may have a loved one in a health situation and you're scared about it. And the word that God's going to whisper is trust. Trust. And you won't have all the answers and you won't know what to do with it, but you have that peace. There's someone who sits here and you feel like you wake up at night and you feel like there's something that you should be doing for God. You feel like it almost haunts you doing something for God. It could be like you should be writing a book. You should be doing this. You should start that. You should do that. And the word that God's going to say to you is start. Start. But God, but, 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 start. You don't have to understand fully to begin immediately. Some people here, you may have been around this church for years, but in some weird way, you're still the new person. Been on the fringe. I've been hurt before. I don't want to get in because church people, church people. What if the words commit? What if the words commit? When it comes to people, I always think about this. For the lady that's sitting there, single, waiting for her Prince Charming. For the man who's sitting there, single, waiting for his queen. You look around this world and there's heathens all around. You come to a place where you start to think, I'm going to need to marry a heathen. 
Because in your heart, the world's saying subtle. But God is going to say to you, don't settle. Don't settle. And it resonates with so many of us in so many different ways. Don't settle for this spot. Don't settle for this place. Don't settle that it's always going to be like this because my God is a God of change. It doesn't make sense sometimes. The steps aren't laid out before you. In 2000, I remember that I was finishing a degree in elementary education. I was very close to the end. And in that field at the time, it was a very good thing to be a male elementary education teacher because a lot of the schools were wanting to hire male elementary teachers because there were a lot of broken homes. And as I was finishing this degree, which it had taken me forever because I had played school longer than I had attended school, I remember sitting in a McDonald's across from Pastor Nip discussing Mentor Heritage Christian Academy and youth pastoring. Now, I remember that two weeks to the day before that, I had said I would never want to be in full-time ministry to the day. And I remember sitting there thinking, crossroad. You can't do both. You know how you do that? How you try to bargain with God? Well, maybe if I... There was no maybe. And I remember sitting, it's so weird, on the steps of this house on Brooks Boulevard. My neighbor, who they kept their Christmas decorations up all year long. I was sitting there. There was a squirrel, and that squirrel had one eye. Remember that? This squirrel comes sit by me on the steps. I don't know if it was like my therapy squirrel or what, but it sat there, and I'm just praying And I just remember, like, step up. Step up. And what's so funny is how those words are different now, because Ella has blueberry. And when you put your finger in there, you're supposed to say, step up, blueberry, step up. And there's times that blueberry will just peck your finger. And that's how it is sometimes when God tells you something. You can either listen and do what you're supposed to do, or you can try to bite at him. You can try to make a fuss. But hear what God says to you. Because at that point, not having all the pieces, I had no idea where God would take ministry. I had no idea what his future plans were. But what if, what if I would have taken the path to say, no, I want to go teach in an inner city school because that's what I have on my heart right now. Take the God path. A second thing, the people who hold on to the least are the ones that God uses the most. We hear the word stronghold in church, but sometimes things are a stronghold not because the hold we, that they have on us, but the hold that we have on them. Like we white-knuckle things. We refuse to let them go. We make them so important in our lives. It says, Elisha left and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen. Now, here's the thing. You can't plow without oxen. It says Elisha slaughtered the oxen, and then what did he do with the plows? He used the plows for the firewood to cook those oxen on. It is estimated that one cow could produce around 650 16-ounce steaks. But Elisha knew that his future wasn't about cows and plows. He knew that the calling had fallen on him, and when it did Do you know what his response was? It was not mournful, like, oh, woe is me, I had plans. It was, let's let's have steaks. 
How you want yours? How you want yours, Eric? You want yours rare? Let's roll with it. That's how he went in that moment. That's ridiculous. It didn't say he made an offering because sometimes in the Old Testament during these times, offerings would be made. No, it was a point where he burned the plows because he wasn't going back that direction. He didn't do it out of anger. He didn't do it to make a point. He didn't do it to say, look at me. He did it because there was an excitement because when the God plan comes together in your life, there will be an excitement. When you step into the unknown, there's going to be an excitement because that's what faith feels like. And it's funny because I imagine if Liam came home, he was like, hey, Dad, I got a new jacket. I want to burn stuff. I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. No, we're going to put the cows in the barn. We're going to put the plows back because it just all seems so sudden. You may need those cows later. But that's how we do in our, in our hearts, too, when it comes to faith. You ever notice that? Like, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to step out. Whoa, I, I'm ready. But just let me, put, let me put plan B back here in the garage in case I need plan B. This was not a plan B situation. Faith can make seemingly normal people do things that seem a little bit crazy. You imagine Peter in Luke chapter 5. Here he is, this professional fisherman. He had had a terrible day of fishing, a terrible evening of fishing. And Jesus walks up and says, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And you know what he's thinking. You don't know what you're talking about. And he had a choice to hold on to his empty nets or he had a choice to throw them over the side. And when he throws them over the side, they are full to the point of breaking. And in that moment, there was a clarity like never before that when Jesus speaks, he may know more than we know. That's crazy. The disciples, when they followed him, they gave up everything. Let it overlap with our faith for a moment. Am I willing in here to leave things that I have held on to for years? The hurts, the wrongs. And I am not saying that in a way to put those down to minimize. I'm saying that the things that I am holding on to and white knuckling, do they have a place in the future that God is asking me to walk into? And when you are coming to a point of decision, make sure it is the voice of God that you hear. Don't just say, I'm sick of this, and well, God's leading me. Is he? Don't be rash in decisions, but know that the calling and the hand of God is in it. I can't go back because I'm looking forward, and I'm walking forward in you. There's some of us that God's going to give plow-burning faith in our hearts. There are stories of people that you hear that what does plow-burning look like in a modern time? The story is told about a family who was really on fire for God. They were really strong Christians. But in the summer, they loved the lake house. Between May and September, they would disappear. It was all about the lake. The person who wrote this says, don't get me wrong, I love the lake too. But what was wild is at one point, their nine-year-old daughter said, Daddy, why is it that we love God all year long, but we don't love him in the summer? And those are the things kids say. You know, as a parent, you're like, ouch. When he heard that, he realized what was happening. It, oh, they loved God during the summer. 
It's not like they turned atheist between those months. But he realized the message that was going to his children was that God can be put on hold. Oh, they could say that they were serving outside of church walls, that God is everywhere, that we are the church and we take it. Yes, but once they figured out it was more about their relaxation than it was about relationship with God, they were convicted of it. And in the end, the plow burning looked like selling the lake house. Looked like selling the boat. Now, that may be extreme, and that's not for everyone. But that's the way that modern-day plow burning might look when God says to you, something's got to change. Something's got to change. There's a story of a man who was addicted to pornography. He had it all together. He would meet with accountability people. And then he gets his smartphone. No matter what filters he'd set up, no matter what safeguards he set up, he would figure out a way around them. Just self-defeating over and over and over. So he meets with someone, and they say to him, when he's saying, well, I need this. I need it for work. I need it for emails. I need it for... Did people survive for thousands of years without these? That was a question. And it hit him. The light went on. And what he did may seem extreme. But he took that iPhone, he smashed it. Like, what? Do you know how much iPhones cost? It wasn't even paid off yet. It was on his 24-month plan. He ended up getting a flip phone. And while a flip phone may not have been really cool, it weighed a whole lot less than the 1,000 pounds of guilt and shame that he carried around by doing what people said that he needed or should do. And I'm saying it in a way because plow burning is going to look different for different people when it comes to the things that God leads you to do. Be in a place where you're able to listen to God, where we don't want to rationalize our way out of the things that he is saying. When it comes to people who struggle with addiction and they come to know Jesus Christ, the epiphany comes to them at some point that they cannot keep the social circles that they used to keep. And it's not that they're better than anyone else. It's that freedom cannot be found amongst the prisoners. And Jesus Christ may call you to step out into different places. What does it look like with the burning? In closing, Elisha said this. He says, let me go kiss my mother and father goodbye. He said, then I'm going to come back to you, Elijah. And Elijah says to him, go back. What have I done to you? Now, people would read that and think that he's scolding him. In other words, like, didn't you just see me put the cloak on you? Didn't you just feel what happened here? Aren't you going to come with me? But what Elijah was saying was this. He was saying I see your heart, and I see you want to go back to your family because you want to honor them. You're not turning your nose up because you're better than them now, but you want to honor them and let them know what God's doing in your life. When he says, what have I done to you? It wasn't a scolding. It was saying, you know, when that happened, that wasn't about me and you. That was about you and God. So when that mantle fell on him, it's about you and God. Now you have a decision to make. And I say that because today, right here in this place, there's something that settles on each one of us. And you have a decision to make. What things in this heart of yours do you need to say, 
no more? What things in stepping out do you need to say, God, I'm going that direction? What things in a spiritual sense do you need to just gather people around and say, stakes are on me tonight because we're celebrating? Here's what's wild about it, though. When he went and followed Elijah, change didn't happen overnight. It is estimated that he was Elijah's servant for 18 years. Could you imagine that conversation? Hey, Mike, where's that CEO of the farm? Oh, you mean Elisha? Yeah. Oh, he's an intern. Well, didn't you say that 17 years ago? Yeah. But the God things may not make sense with the timelines that we set up. But when you're in the God place, when you're doing the things that he tells you to do in his timing, it will come to pass. And before we pray, here's what I just want to say to you. The God who spoke back then still speaks today. The God who spoke in whispers to Elijah, the God who gave those short kind of directions, he still speaks today and he still cares for you just as much as the people that we speak about in his word. We're going to pray. And I would ask this question. Do you really want your faith to stretch? Do you really want to see things go to where they've never gone before, personally for you? Because when we chase personally, then corporately we go forward. God speaking, listen to the whispers. If you'll stand, we're going to pray.